So good morning, everybody. It's an absolute <coughs> honor and a privilege to be here this morning. I uh, must tell you that I enjoyed that worship. It was deep. And, uh, you know, some of you might have saying this is uh, worship that is slow. And for a Sunday morning, we should be jumping up and down. And woohoo, it's exciting to be here. But I really felt in that moment that God's presence was here. And I just want to say to Kayla, you know, I think you need to step up a little bit more. You've got a great voice, and uh, I can see you leading worship one of these days. Where is Kayla? Did she disappear? Ah, shucks. Dad Tiller. All right. So Andrew and Ems, we saw them uh, night before last, and they asked where we were today. And uh, they asked to send their love and their thanks and their appreciation for all you guys are doing, particularly Richard and Imelda, they're doing a great job over here, and uh, Imedla. <laughs> Always get it wrong, eh? sorry, man. Imelda, Imedla, it's got an M. It's like Kim. <laughs> My apologies. But they do send their love, and uh, before I go into the priest, just to, uh, to give you guys a bigger picture in terms of what's happening to Josh's generation and where we've come from, you know, just so that you know that you belong to, you know, wider family. And this is an, an awesome family. And, you know, I look at you guys here, maximum of 50 people. COVID, as, it's, as you know it, has had a major impact through South Africa. And just as Richard shared that his uncle passed away, I'm sure if I were to ask you, everybody that, has, that knows somebody that has been lost as a result of COVID, stick up your hands everybody would possibly be able to stick up their hands and say, yeah, look, I know somebody that has passed away from COVID. In Josh Jen, out of 6,000 people, we've only had eight people that have gone to the Lord because of COVID. So that is very good. I, I thank God for his hand of protection, his hand of favor over us at the moment. But the good news as well, because God is good, Amen. Let me just give you something that will show you how the favor of the Lord has fallen over us as a family of Joshua generation. So since we went into a lockdown on the 27th of March last year until February this year, we've had 490 first-time salvations. Isn't that amazing? Isn't God good? Amen. Yeah. And on that subject, you know, the word says the harvest is ripe, and we need to pray that God sends harvesters. We are the harvesters. This is a time for you to be speaking to people about Jesus. He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. Why do we have to talk to them? Because they are scared. They are anxious. They don't know, and people want to know, is heaven real? And you guys know the answer to that. Yes, heaven's real. Start telling them about how bad hell is. And they don't know if they're going to make it tomorrow because of COVID. And suddenly you'll see, you'll start reaping the benefits of this harvest, which is ripe. We've had 833 recommitments to serving the Lord. How amazing is God? Yeah, God is good. We have had... 250 baptisms. I mean, I, the mind boggles. 
It's God is good. And then how's this for a stat that I'll give you as well? Since we reopened church at the end of July until February, we've had 6,027 visitors joining Josh Jen or coming through Josh Jen. Isn't that amazing? Now, I know of, and I can tell you factually, that certain well-known churches in Cape Town have lost 30% of their members as a result of COVID. Because they didn't have church online. We've got Josh in life at the moment. They weren't relational. They weren't in communities. They didn't build communities to find out how each other are doing. You know, are you right? Do you have food? Can we visit? You know, what do you need? Can we be there for you guys? There's a church which my cousin goes to in Polokwane, that's the old Petersburg, consisted of 3,000 members. After COVID, they shut the doors because nobody came back. That is so sad. But yet, the hand and the favor of God is over Josh Jen right now. And we don't take it for granted. You know, we look up and we say, God, you are worthy. You are worthy of it all. It's not in our strength, nor is it in our power, but it is you. And we give thanks to you. And as we sang that song, our Father, you know, he is our Father. I just need some water. Mouth's dry. Don't know why. Must be nerves, Richard. So when, I, when one comes to preach over here, Richard sits here with an eagle eye. <laughs> and then he, after the service, says, no, you moved around too much. You paused. You didn't hold on to the lectern long enough. And you, you used that scripture out of context. You didn't tell enough stories. I always say that uh, he never gives us enough space on the stage. So before we go, in today's preach, what I want you to do, just close your eyes and maybe open the palms of your hands and say, Holy Spirit, come, let your presence fall now. Not only in this place, but in my life. Lord, when I leave here, I don't want to be the same. I want you to touch my heart. My heart is like a building which I've invited you in. I want you to reconstruct. I want you to renovate. But Lord, where you want to break down walls, let me not object. Because I've given you my life. Do to this building, this heart, what you want to do. So we wait on you right now. Holy Spirit, come. Purify us. Magnify yourself to us now. We wait on you. We desire you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you're making notes, and it's uh, almost like a coincidence, the Holy Spirit is moving. The title of my preach this morning is called Building for Eternity. So if I listen to some of Richard's stories and his tithing teaching, 
It was linked, as if he saw my notes, to the title of this breach. And uh, uh, you all know who Will Murray is. Who doesn't know wh who Will Murray is? A lot of people call him Uncle Will. He's uh, one of the uh, apostles that uh, I and Josh Jen has been with us for 10, 12 years. He goes overseas often. He breaks churches open. And he's very involved in 412. Now, 412 is a movement of which over 400 churches partner with us in the gospel. And uh, we go out, as in Ephesians 4.12, it says uh, in, four, in Ephesians 4.11 that God will add uh, apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, and evangelists to the body to m equip them, to bring them to a place of maturity so that they can go out. So he goes around as an apostle, and he brings these churches from around the world to join us as a partnership. So we can go out with you to assist in equipping the people to become mature in the things of the Lord. He's a wonderful man. I mean, he's, he's a man of faith. He's planted, I think, five uh, churches in the past. He's gray-haired like me, a couple of years older than me. And recently, he discovered that he had cancer. And uh, in... In that, after a while, they went and took out a big piece of steak one of the, out of his liver, because that's where they thought the cancer was, and uh, he thought he had recovered, and everybody celebrated God's goodness. This is a miracle. He has recovered, and we celebrated the fact that he's healthy, he's strong, and he can run forever, and the doctors examined him, and they said, your cancer count is high, but we cannot trace any cancer in your body. Nothing. This is like a miracle. But the cancer count is on. They couldn't understand it. Until he went back last week. And the doctors found him and said, you better come and see us. And when he went in, the doctor said, your body is riddled with cancer. Through your lungs, into your nymph glands. And you've got about eight months in which to live. And for us, it's going to be a tragic loss. But we know, and if you know Will, he's going to run hard right to the end. He's going to run until the day drops down as if revival is going to start tomorrow. Because when he gets to eternity, he wants to hear the words from God, well done, my good and faithful servant. And isn't that something we all want to hear? When you get, get to heaven, you stand in front of Jesus and he says, well done, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. And this is what he said when we first thought that there was a problem. We had a all men's lead elders, elders meeting. Richard, you heard that one, weren't you? And there were many tears as the guys heard Will preach this preach. A very emotional and sensitive preach. And he shared this word and Andrew afterwards stood up in tears you know, and expressed how much we love Will. And he said this, Our lives will soon pass, but that which we do for Jesus will last through 
eternity. That which we do for Jesus will last through eternity. That is such a significant saying that if you want a fridge magnet or stick a sticky on your mirror every morning when you do your makeup or shave or something, that which we do for Jesus will last forever. And that's something that Richard mentioned earlier on. He said, uh, the rabbi and the furniture. Rabbi, where's your furniture? And that story links to that as well. And his tithing preach, his best investment is that in the kingdom for eternity. And that's why I'm calling this preach Building for Eternity. So that's a long introduction. <laughs> so we're going to be looking at predominantly one scripture today. And we're going to bounce in and out of it. And I think we've got two, two or three other little scriptures. So it's going to seem like I've got a whole whack of scriptures, but I don't. It's, it's mainly about four scriptures that you might have to open your Bibles to or your phones, whatever you're using or making notes about. So the first scripture, or the only scripture, or not the only scripture, the main scripture, is Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. And many of you guys are very familiar with this scripture. Okay, let's read it together. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, underline that, and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, underline, and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. You can underline, and great was the fall of it. So this, if I can give you a bit of background, this introduction to this, this passage comes at the end of the, the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. And he's taught the disciples and the crowd and everybody that was around there a number of things. He, um, we know it as the Beatitudes. He talks about the importance of us as saints being the salt of the earth. Now, we all know that salt adds flavor to food. If you come from England, is there anybody from England over there? Just raise your hand. Is that you do? Sorry, man, but the food over there is terrible. They don't, this is so bland. Eh? My son lives in England, and at least he comes from South Africa. They know how to make decent food. But generally, if you eat food in England, it's bland. bland, not, bland not bad, bland. And uh, he also tells us that uh, he is the fulfillment of the law that Moses had said. He also gives us a new view of divorce. You know, a lot of us think, um, or we can just divorce. And he says, no, no, if you married a woman, you need to stay married to her. It's only through sexual adultery can you divorce her. But in the Old Testament, if a woman, if a man just didn't like his wife anymore, he just wrote it on a piece of paper and he said, yeah, yeah, we are divorced. And he moves on to the next lady. And he was entitled to do this. He writes on a piece of paper, yeah, we are divorced. And off they go. And I think there's a lot of men might say, yeah, that's a cool law. I want that. It's a lot of hard work. Then you have to do all the spade work and romancing and all that. No, just stay with your wife. 
I don't know if you heard that one. The guy went to uh, his friend and said, you know, my wife hasn't spoken to me for three months. And his friend looked at him and said, you better hang on to you. There's not many of those around. He also teaches us how to pray properly. Our Father who is in heaven. And it's such a wonderful prayer. And you know, it's a prayer which sometimes we overlook. And sometimes we don't know what to pray. And I said, go back to the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Remember, they ran to him and said, teach us how to pray. And he said, pray like this. It wasn't a fancy prayer. But you can build on that prayer. Our Father. And that's the amazing thing about who our God is. He's our Father. I was watching a TV program the other day. It's an awesome program on Netflix. And uh, this Jewish guy, he's lost his wife in a car accident, and his father comes to console him, and he looks up to his father, and his father, you can see he's grieving as his son is grieving, and he looks at him and he says, Abba, Jewish, Abba for father, daddy father. And he is our father in heaven. And then he goes on to say that um, God our father is concerned about their well-being, and then he goes into chapter 7. And he tells us not to judge our neighbors, but we are, leave that, we are to leave that to God. And then uh, he also warns us against false teachers. And today, there are many false teachers. And Andrew, through the Babylon series, spoke about all the false teachers that are around. And if you Google, you're going to get all kinds of funny teachers that are going to try and convince you what you shouldn't be hearing. I mean, now we've got the vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers. And if you get vaccinated, you've got the mark of the beast. And now the vaccine. The people have been vaccinated. They are taking a superior uh, role. But anyway, Andrew's going to preach on that next Tuesday. So we'll get to that. But on this specific subject, which you've all heard many times, there are four key points which I'd like to highlight to you. So first point is, all of us, all of you, be it men and women, are building. We're all building. The second point is, all buildings are built on a foundation. Who's Afrikaans here? Okay. Moere mense. Die eerste liekie was uitstekend. Ek praat nie baie goeie Afrikaans nie, maar die wat nie verstaan wat a foundation is, in Afrikaans is het a fundament. Nee man, daar in, her, in Hartenbos het, het hulle vir my gesê, dit is a fundament. What do you call it? Fondasi. I've got to adjust my notes now. <laughs> yeah. So I've been preaching to the guys in Nartenos about a fundament. And they probably all went to me and said, I pastor is The third point is that all our foundations will be tried and tested. All our foundations will be tried and tested. And the final point is only one foundation will stand. Only one foundation will stand. So let's go back to um, verse 7, verses 21 to 23. It says there, not... Everyone. Who's sitting here at the moment? 
everyone. We are the everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the information. So he, he's preaching this to us. And he says, if you are part of my kin kingdom, you are one of the everyone. It's not exclusive to the Jews. It's not exclusive to those people or those people. It's exclusive. We are included in the everyone. And then the, this story is not about the comparison between the two men who de deliberately set out to build on different foundations. Rather, it's a comparison of the one who gives careful consideration to the foundation he is building on versus one who gives no thought to the foundation he is building on. The one gives careful consideration to the foundation. The other one gives no consideration. So we live down there in Bloberg, and just in front of Bloberg, there's a place called uh, Dunoon. Dunoon is, um, what do we call them? A township. Okay? But now they were contained. Apparently, it's one of the most expensive places in South Africa to live because they live seven to ten people in a home, but the rental for each person is the same. So you pay a thousand rand, and every other person will pay a thousand rand to this guy who owns that little shack, a thousand rand each. So per square meter, it's the most expensive place to stay in South Africa at the moment. But eventually, so many people started flocking into Tableview. They jumped over the road where the containers are, and they're moving towards Tableview, and they grabbed the land, and they said, this is where we're going to start sticking up our shacks. And they built down, down, down towards the river, right onto the riverbank. They've crossed the river, and now they're moving closer and closer to Tableview. The problem is that a lot of the guys who built close to the river, they don't realize that the river has a flood line. There's a 100-year flood line, and there's an instant flood line as well. And when the rains come, you see these shacks being washed away with every single possession that these people own. Thousands upon thousands. You see their blankets gang, their beds gang, their shacks gang, down the river. And they lose everything. See, they were the foolish builders. They didn't stand back and consider the foundation which they needed to build their shacks on. And this place is called Sashwiji, by the way. And then we go back to Luke chapter 6, verse 47 to 49. Everyone, that's us again, who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on rock. That's what we need to do, is build the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against it. That house could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke, like Shishwizui in the noon, against it immediately it felt and the ruin of that house was great. So it's not so much that the foolish man actually believes that the sand is a better foundation to build on. 
He just gave no thought to the importance of a good foundation. I often say, you know, we live 50 meters away from the beach. Now, if we could, we'd live on the beach. But if you live on the beach, that's not a foundation. It's beach sand, and the tide comes, and the tide goes, and that's why people don't live on the beach. You can't build a foundation that's going to get knocked and swept away by the sea. But the biggest thing is, you know, most of us take a view that says, as long as I have a roof over my head, I'm going to be okay. And as long as I've got a roof over my head, how many of us say that? Many of us are privileged to say, I've got a, a roof over my head, so I'm okay. But this is an example of when I say, as long as I've got a roof over my head, we're not considering the foundation. Here's some examples what I'm going to refer to. It's a teenager deciding what path he or she will follow. Shall it be filled? I'm going to go out there and it's going to be a life filled with excitement. I'm going to drink. I'm going to party. I'm going to rock and roll. I'm going to experience some drugs and I'm just going to go for it and I'll change my life later on. Or is he going to be a person that says, I need to have a strong moral character and I want to push into a religion that's going to keep me on true north. In a larger perspective, we might apply this parable to the choice of who our lifelong mate is going to be. Will we choose the exciting, most popular person, even that they are arrogant, proud, and somewhat flighty? Or shall we choose the decent, quiet, and religious person? You know, you look at your spouse and say, oops, that's not what, he, what I saw when I married you. You weren't that decent, quiet, religious person. And remember that uh, wonderful expression, still waters run deepest. Not the Afrikaans version. Stille waters loop die duivel rond. Diepe water. What? Still water, diepe grond. I must give up Afrikaans. And so, die wat Afrikaans is verskoon my. Ek is maar een Engelsman. I went, I went to uh, Namibia once, Ketman's Whip, and uh, <laughs> I'm off my notes now, I'm like Andrew Selly. And they said I must preach, but they said I'm only allowed to preach in Afrikaans. Because if I preach in English for five minutes, the people will get up and walk out, because I only speak Afrikaans there. So I panicked because I spent three days, you know, taking my preach and with a, a dictionary, English Afrikaans dictionary, rewriting it. But not all the words mean the same thing, you know. So what's our accountability in Afrikaans? You circle with that one in Afrikaans. So anyway, I preached my preach in Afrikaans, and afterwards a guy came to me afterwards. And he slapped me on the back and he said, "For an Engelsman, is jij niet te bad nie." Okay, let's get back to the preach. The real meaning of this parable is eternal and timeless. It's eternal. Now, Richard spoke about it as well. It is eternal and timeless. And it's very important that you guys get this. This is eternal and timeless. It has to do with your soul and the next life. Please appreciate that your life on earth in the bigger picture is about that long. From the day you are born until the day you die. Eternity you can't measure. 
It is as far as east is from west. You will never understand the full extent of eternity. And whatever you're doing today, whatever you're going to do tomorrow, whatever you're going to do for the rest of your life, has an impact in terms of the life that you're going to live in eternity. You could be building a wonderful house. You could be building a wonderful career. You could be raising an amazing family and your kids are everything to you. But what are you doing? Are you building for a life now? Or are you building for a life in eternity? Well, let's look at that. Verse, chapter 7, verse 24 and 26. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Let's look at verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built this house. See, as I said, you're a builder in this life and in the future and for all eternity. And the floods will come and the winds will come. And the wind, you know, will blow your house down. And he huffed and he puffed and he blew and the building blew down. Flew, um, fell down. You see, all of us, just like these two buildings, will face the same trials. They're both. And the winds came and the rains came and the river came and it washed it all away. Now, as you sit here, we all face trials. Who hasn't faced a trial? I mean, we've been through trials. Depression, we've been COVID, you've been sick, you've lost a family member, you could have lost your job, you could have lost a family family member, spouse or child. Every one of us have been through a trial. And we will go through trials. Jesus, in fact, said, you will go through trials and tribulations in this life. But count it all joy. We say, no, Lord, it's very difficult. Paul said that, by the way. Both houses faced the same kind of trials. But it was not the material of the building. It was the foundation that saved that house. It was the foundation. So sometimes we look at the material which we are using to build our lives with. So now I need to ask you this question. Have you confused the building material with the foundation? So Kim, what are you talking about? So you could say, listen, I am saved. I've been water baptized. I go to community on Wednesdays. I come to church on Sundays. I'm trying to lead a moral life. I'm trying to reflect Jesus in me. See, those are not the foundations. Those are the building materials. All good things, all honorable things, but that's not the foundation. There's only one foundation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Okay. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There's only one foundation. Jesus Christ. So you can build a house, but if Jesus Christ is not your foundation, your house will fall. And that's why we say, is there any visitors here at the moment? If you're a visitor, just raise your hand. No, no. Oh, you are. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. At least there's one attractive person amongst these people over here. 
Now, I'm joking. All of you guys are beautiful. God sees you as beautiful. I'm not so sure about Richard, but... So we just saw in 1 Corinthians 3.11, God looks upon Jesus as the only firm foundation. So we need to believe that. Jesus, you're my rock. You're the foundation. And you are what I'm going to stand on. You are what I'm going to build on. I do not want to build on anything but the foundation of Jesus Christ. You start building your foundation on something else, you will fall. So let's look at um, John 1.11 verse 13. I think I gave that one to you. No. Okay, I'll read it to you. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. We all want eternal life, don't we? I don't want, you know, a lot of people believe I die and then it's just darkness. I'm gone. You know, no memory, nothing. No, but your soul goes to eternity or to hell. I want to live in heaven. I want to be, <laughs> you know, one of the beautiful things about dying is I just fall asleep and then I wake up. The feet of Jesus are glorious, are wonderful. And in that moment, I get a new glorious body. I'll be tall, dark, and handsome like Richard. <laughs> Not short. You know, I'm trying to get into shape, but they say round is a shape. But I'll get that glorious body. I can't wait for that. Let us consider the storm that beat against these houses. And as I said, sometimes it's sickness, loss of job, loss of income. But then it's nothing compared to what Jesus said later on. It's the storm of, the storm of God's judgment. And I remember as a young boy, when I got up to mischief, I was naughty. I'll tell you a little story when I, when, uh, I was a young boy, probably 8, 10 years old. We had in our backyard a small plantation of peach trees. And we must have had about 24 peach trees in our backyard. The peaches were ripe and they were nice. But our neighbor had three peach trees. But their peaches always looked better than ours. So we had a long black plastic pipe. It was probably that wide. And it had a slight curve to it. And what we used to do is stick it through the fence and grab it over the peach and used to rattle it, and the peach used to roll down. We used to catch it on the outside, and we ate this peach, and there's nothing better than stolen peaches. It tasted so much better than this orchard of trees behind us. But my mom caught us one day, and she said, I'm going to tell your dad, and I must tell you, then I put myself. My knees, is, is that all right that I can say that? Yeah, check the Afrikaans people, yeah. My knees were shaking and shivering because I knew if I faced the wrath of my dad, he was going to murder me. I think that's why I'm so short. I used to get beaten over the head all the time. But I honestly was scared of my dad coming home. We should have the same fear about facing the wrath of God if we're building on the wrong foundation. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 13 to 15. 
Now, each one's work will become manifest. So in other words, one day, whatever you have done, whatever you have built on, that's going to manifest itself when you're standing in front of God. I built on this, and it's going to face a test of fire. So I could have built all of these things. I could have built. Okay, I can stand up here and say, I'm a pastor, and, and, and Andrew's called me his right-hand man, and I'm involved in this, and I'm involved in that, and I'm running here, and I'm running there. We're planting churches, and I'm doing that. And, it, and, and, I, and I'm puffed up my chest, and this is all good. Because it's about me. I'm, Richard, look at me. And then one day, I'm going to stand in front of God, and everything that I did will be tested by fire. And if it was about me, all of that goodness that I thought I was doing for his kingdom will burn away. Because I never glorified him in this. I was glorifying myself. Your work will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So that's very important for you guys to realize. What work are you doing? It's going to be tested by fire. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. Oh my heart. So it doesn't mean because you're saved and you have been building wrong that you have lost your salvation. You are saved. just means that you're not going to go to hell. You might just make it. And your, your pants might have smoke on them. Like you've just stood too close to a bright flash. You know, steam coming out of it or smoke coming out of it. And I mean from the fire. And you've just, <laughs> you caught it. <laughs> and you've just made it. But everything else you've built on will be burnt away. Let's look at chapter 7 again, verses 21 to 23. This is, honestly, to me, personally, one of the most frightening New Testament verses that I hold very close to my heart in terms of the way I live, the way I pastor, and the way I treat people. Now listen to this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, and we're all sitting here, and we're all going to say, Lord, Lord, I went to church. I went to community. I raised my hands during worship. Will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he, the one who does the will of my father, is in heaven. On that day, many, you can underline that in your Bibles, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name? And do mighty works in your name. So I can stand here and start prophesying. I can start casting out demons. And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. I'm my hat. I'm a Christian. God, I came to church. I came to community. I mean, in fact, I stepped forward and I, I prophesied over Richard. 
I cast out demons out of my wife. She's cast demons out of me. And he's going to say to me, you've built on the wrong foundation. Go away from me, you wicked servant. You didn't do what I asked you to do. I've given you my word. You've ignored my word. You've done it your way. And then you hear that track from Frank Sinatra playing in the background. I did it my way. You see, the greatest decision that you can make right now does not concern this life. It really doesn't. A lot of us are living for a life right now. It concerns the life to come. Many of us, many of us, I can tell you, many of you sitting here are afraid. Many of you sitting here right now are anxious because of COVID. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen when you walk out of this door. And we sit here in church, you know, with masks on. Church is never meant to be like this. We get into communities. We lay hands on each other. We worship together. We pray together. We have meals together. We fellowship together. We read God's Word together. And most of us in community aren't wearing masks. That is church. And that is what God wanted to, to do amongst us here. But Satan, through COVID, has virtually nullified the impact and the power of us in church at the moment. Because at church at the moment, you want to bring in a friend, and I thank God for that visitor, that lady that's sitting at the back there. And you won't bring them because, hey man, come here and just uh, look at my eyes. You know? And only 50 people. And Richard's building well and want to honor him. He's planted two congregations already. Got 30 people uh, down in Gordons Bay and uh, Willem's growing his congregation. I think he's up to about 30, 40 people as well. It's amazing. Out of this little congregation, Richard gives off his best. You've got 70 people out there and we're already up to about 60, 70 people over here. It's amazing. It's fantastic. It's honorable. And Satan doesn't want us to advance his kingdom. So now we're only 50 instead of 150 because of COVID regulations. You see, many people will not make a decision concerning Jesus in their life because they don't think Jesus is important. Remember what I said right up front, the harvest is ripe. And you'll go to somebody and you'll start speaking to them. Out of, you know, they've got fear and anxiety in their bodies. And then you can say, listen, let me tell you what Jesus did in my life. I was once an adulterer. I was once a druggie. I was once this and I was that. But then I met this person called Jesus Christ and he took my life and he changed me, he redeemed me. He reconciled me and he restored me. And he's changed my life from one way to another way. I used to go that way. I repented. Now I'm going into the arms of the Father who's going to embrace me with love. And the person says, what? I used to know you. You're just not the same anymore. He says, that's what Jesus does in me. She don't go with the Bible and bash a guy over the head and says, thus says the Lord. You start by telling them your story to remove the barrier. And then you start addressing the fear and the anxiety. Jesus asked you to do that. Go into the nations and make disciples of all people. Of all people. And we say, oh, hang on, hang on. Wait, Kim, there's COVID restrictions. 
You know, we are known as a red country. We're not allowed to travel anywhere in the world. Boundaries are close to South Africans. Going to the nation starts with your neighbor, your neighborhood, your town, your city, your province. We are going into the nations, believe it or not. We have Josh Ten Life. And many of you have watched Josh Ten Life on YouTube or Facebook. We reach, at the moment, 54 countries. Every week we add between two and five people into communities that have watched and said, we want to be part of you guys. Every week. We've had, I think it's, we're now sitting at 92 people that we've added into communities. That's a congregation that we've added into communities because of Josh Gen Life. We've had people around the globe that have been healed and lives given to Jesus. Will Murray shared his testimony on Josh Gen Life. We had a lady in Turkey that phoned and said, I want to give my life to Jesus. We say, whoopee-doo. No, no, we've planted a seed of Christianity in a Muslim country. And we pray that that lady will bear fruit. And the word of Jesus will expand and go out. We are reaching the nations. But each one of you, you can't travel. Start with your neighbor. Start with your colleague. Start with your friend. Start with your family. I've got family that don't know Jesus. And believe me, we're praying hard every single day. Lord, let my son come to know you. Let my son come to know you. We've been subversive in terms of the way we're going to do this. I was naughty when I got saved because I thought everybody needs to get saved. So I took a Bible and bashed everybody over there. And my kids ran a million miles away from me. Dad, you're always Bible bashing us. But now what we do is we subtle. We use our grand, grandkids. <laughs> my grandkids, um, the three older ones, the oldest one is 16, 17, saved. The 15-year-old saved. The 14-year-old saved. So they're cool. And now we've got two youngsters living in England, Jonah and Jesse, and they are five and seven, seven and five. But what do we buy them for uh, Christmas? We buy them this book called by Louis Giglio. How great is our God? I don't know if you guys have seen it in bookshops. Thick book like this for children. Lovely illustrations. And every night they say to mom, mom, please read out of this book. And then we send them uh, Josh Jen Kids videos. Like Conrad the Pirates. I don't know if any of you guys have seen that. They watch this thing 50 times over. And then the other day, my uh, son phones me. He says, Dad, can we FaceTime you? My son was uh, taught something about Jesus in school today, which caught me by surprise because I never thought in England they'll actually teach people about Jesus. So we get FaceTime. And uh, what was the question? Um, he wanted to know more about Jesus on the cross. I mean, okay, so now he's seven years old. Yeah, my son's sitting, holding Jonah on his lap. And he has Kim, the pastor, got to teach them about why Jesus died on the cross. So subtly and subversively, God is working in my son's life. 
And I do believe that not long from now, he will commit his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he'll start building on the right foundation. And so if I had to ask you right now, what's the most important thing in your life? If you had to take away something from your life right now, what will destroy you? What will make your life unbearable to live? Friends? Your car? A nice house? A good marriage, close-knit family, your children absolutely love and adore you. It's tragic when a parent has to bury their child. I remember when we were in Edgemead, Craig, Joy, and family were there as well. There was a family over there, and uh, the ladies, one of the ladies shortly after we arrived, her mom died. She was clearly very close to her mom. But she was so angry. She shook her fist at God. God, how dare you take my mom away from me? And I loved her so much. It caused such pain, grief, and anger in her heart that she no longer goes to church. Her son had the potential to be one of the best youth leaders around. And her, her husband, and their son fallen away. See, they built on the wrong foundation. Their foundation or her foundation was her mom. You see, if you're building on the wrong foundation, it's going to crumble. It will be tested and it's going to crumble. And then finally, right at the end, it says there, and great was the fall of it. You see, there's, there's no remedy for the fall of it. Because as I said earlier on, it's going to manifest itself with this fire. And it's going to be tested by God. So build on the foundation of Jesus and Him alone. He is our cornerstone. And some of us, in conclusion, will say, this is very difficult to believe, Kim. Surely I should have a good family, a good house, a good car, a good job, and all of that. Now, those are all noble and good things. But remember what I said. There's wrong foundations. But the Jews also believed this. If you look at verse 28, chapter 7, verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, crowds were astonished at his teaching. I hope you guys have been astonished this morning. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. You see, the scribes were their pastors. They were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all the priests of the Jews at that time. And they weren't teaching about Jesus being the foundation. They were teaching on the law of Moses, the wrong foundation. Remember, Jesus already said, you know, I've come to fulfill the law. But they didn't hear that. And they got angry. And they said, but Jesus, I, I need to build a house. Jesus, I need to have a family. I need to have a job. I need to do all of this. Building materials. Instead of us saying, Jesus, you are the rock. You are the foundation. Now, many of us will consider this preach and say, 
Yeah, I've made some mistakes. God will let me go, let us through. But sometimes God will review some of these mistakes that you have made, some of the choices that you've made as sin. And whilst we are Christians, whilst we are all believers, we can go to Jesus and say to him, Father, forgive me for my sins. I repent of my sins. I've been building on the wrong foundation. I've put other things that we've discussed above you. Forgive me. I repent of this. There's a blessing in repentance. Confess your sins one to another. And God takes his sins and he wipes them as far away as east is from west. Such a wonderful thing. Then we get into heaven one day. You say, but Lord, I did this. And he says, what? I've forgiven you years ago. Why are you still worried about that? Oh, but it, no, I didn't know about that. I wiped it away. Cleaned the slate. So we, we struggle sometimes to say sorry to God and ask for forgiveness and repent. I want to ask you now, in your own heart, you feel, mm, Kim, you invited the Holy Spirit into my heart right now. I feel a bit of a conviction. I have been building on the wrong foundation. I have not been building on Jesus as my rock, my foundation. I need to. In these times, let me tell you, in times of year, yeah, we do believe that the coming, Richard, you might agree, that the timing of Jesus coming back a lot sooner than a lot of us realize. So I say, church, wake up. Kim and Laureen, wake up. Make sure that that which you're building on is Christ, Him crucified, and Him alone. That's the foundation that we need to be building on. We need to make sure our lives are absolutely surrendered to Jesus. Remember what he said right up front. Those who hear my word and do them versus those who hear my word and don't do them. Now, many of us read our Bibles. Many of us look at this. Many of us will have a quiet time. Many of us will consider even talk about some of the things, but we don't live them. We don't do them. I know many people that know God's word backwards. You see, intellectually, it sits here. But the distance from here to here is 20 centimeters. And that 20 centimeters drop is all the difference that needs to take place in you. So God, my heart needs to reflect your love, your light. Your will, we sang, not my will be done, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Let me pray for you guys.